Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. The title of my message is Make Way for the King. Make Way for the King. We'll be looking uh, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and we'll go to verse 5 in a bit when we go to that. In some circle, church circles today, and it um, uh, depends on which group you happen to be with, but today marks the beginning of a season that, uh, that is called Advent. How many have heard of Advent before, okay? And uh, Rhonda uh, actually, has, my wife here, has started a new tradition with our grandchildren, and uh, she started, I think, a couple, three years ago, but it's really become a thing now, and, there was, and it's, it's a thing where she gives them all a, a, a Lego Advent calendar, you ever seen these things? Here, let me show you a picture of what I'm talking about. So every day you open a little door and you get to build a little... See, nothing says Christmas like, like Star Wars, right? You agree? So, yeah. So you have the opportunity to build uh, 24 different little uh, Lego things and every day you open another little door and you get out. And so there's, you're building this anticipation towards Christmas and, and so that's kind of fun, isn't it? But the funny thing was is she gives this to them wrapped on, on Thanksgiving and lets them open it. Do you see where this is going, don't you? These are, these are little guys from eight down to, to one, and, and they're opening a gift thinking they get to play with something, and then we have to ex- announce to them, no, you don't get to open this until the, huh? We had other crafts to do. Come on, let me have a little fun with this moment here. All right. No, she is anything but a lame uh, grandma. She is amazing to those grandkids. And, uh, but they didn't get to start opening their gift until yesterday as they worked their way up towards Christmas. But uh, how many have an Advent calendar or something like that in your home where you count down the day? Oh, a lot of people do, so that's great. So, so today marks the actual, in the church calendar, the beginning of the a- Advent season uh, that goes, uh, some people start on December 1st, but it's usually the, the Sunday through the uh, Christmas Eve. And so anyway, the, uh, so that's, that's what this season is called, again, in some circles. We don't generally talk about that much here. But the word Advent is from the Latin adventus, which means the arrival, I love this, or the coming of someone or some, uh, uh, something extremely important. The arrival or the coming of someone or something extremely important. And it was used to speak uh, oftentimes in the old uh, times of Rome of an emperor coming into the city. And, uh, and so it was the advent of the, of the king or the emperor coming in to a city. And in some circles um, of, of, again, the church... In Christianity, it begins this season of, com- of the coming of the Lord. It celebrates the coming of Jesus. It's the official start for some of the Christmas season. And, and, uh, and so we're going to look at, at the Advent today a little bit. And the Advent speaks of the coming of the king to Bethlehem. And uh, when he came to Bethlehem as a baby, again, as we spoke earlier, there was much more to his life than just being a baby. And, uh, but we're also, see, and this is where we sometimes forget that there's another advent that's coming. We're looking toward a second advent of the Lord Jesus when he comes back and sets up rule and reign on planet Earth. The Bible speaks of that. And just as the first prophecy was fulfilled of his coming, I, 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 I tell you today the second prophecy will be fulfilled as well. They say history repeats itself. Jesus came once, he is coming again. Trust me when I tell you, he is really coming again. And so, 
uh, and the same scriptures, by the way, that tell us that he was coming, tell us that he's coming again. So that's important to understand. So, uh, so to celebrate that first arrival, and, and, but also to look forward to the, the, the new arrival, we would say, uh, another way to maybe say, say what I'm trying to say in all of this is make way for the king. Make room for someone important who's coming and make, make a way for him. That, that, and so in our sense of things, we're moving other, we may have to move other things out of the way to make room so the way can have his way. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? So today I want to look close uh, at the life of John the Baptist in some ways, who is, who is the original waymaker, if you will, for Jesus Christ, the forerunner he's often called of Jesus Christ. Before we read that scripture, though, I want to go back in history about 400 years before the birth of Christ to the very last words of the Old Testament from the book of Malachi, <laughs> the Italian prophet. <laughs> That's a joke. Okay, we say Malachi, but I, th- I think it sounds better, Malachi. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, just my sixth sense of humor there. Okay, we're going to Malachi, and uh, these are the last words, the last two verses of the Old Testament. And, uh, and these words are very o- ominous if you look at them, and they leave the Old Testament with a warning that will not take, and it will stand as a warning. These are the last things that they would read in their Old Testament scriptures, and for 400 years this warning would stand until Christ would come. And in Malachi 4.5 it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah. Now, historically, Elijah had been there already a thousand years before, or uh, 600 years or so before this. And, uh, but, but, it's, but interestingly, the prophet is saying, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. How many agree those are ominous? We're talking about great and dread, dreadful days and total destruction. That does not sound good. And so the, the Jewish culture, as they studied those scriptures, they come to that, and now for 400 years, no more prophets of the Lord have spoken. Nothing's been added to those words. And they stand in anticipation of that day, waiting for Elijah to come. And they waited, and they waited for four centuries. And Jesus will later explain, and you can read this in your New Testament, that John the Baptist fulfills this prophecy and he lets the people know that Elijah, John the Baptist, had already come and they had killed him. And so we're going to look at our text today to see about this Elijah that's going to come and bring in this advent, the making way for the king. Starting in Luke 1, 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, and that's just kind of like like throwing dice kind of an idea, chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now the next three verses have four points in them, and they're going to be the four points of our message. And I'm going to put them on the screen and kind of line them out one by one. But I'm going to read through them, and you'll see them here. 
First of all, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Secondly, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And third, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And finally, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And then in verse 17 to finish, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here's the tie-in to what I said earlier. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The coming of John the Baptist was in direct fulfillment of those Old Testament, those famous last words of the Old Testament, and we're going to look at what he did with that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Speak to us today through it. Bring application to our lives. We're not studying a history lesson here. We're looking at something that happened that has application to our lives. Help us to be waymakers, Lord, as John the Baptist was, as we make way for the king, not just in this season, but in every season of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. You agree? Amen. Amen. So again, Malachi talks about this great and dreadful day of the Lord that's coming. And what we need to understand is that prophecy oftentimes is fulfilled with dual fulfillment. And I, the only way I can illustrate that is to do a very crude uh, drawing that I did. Let me just show you here what I mean by that. If you could put that graphic up for me there, Josh, that would be awesome. Here it comes. All right. So uh, do you like my artwork on the computer? Isn't that just brilliant? I mean, graphic genius, right? Come on, bring it. Okay. So what we have here is uh, John the Baptist, or, or excuse me, the, the prophet, we'll, we'll use Malachi as the prophet, he's the little guy up there, he's looking forward from his vantage point, 400 B.C., and that we'll put the cross as the, the dividing point between B.C. and A.D. We're really talking about the birth of Christ, but you get the general idea, it's really the whole package, it's the birth through the resurrection of Christ is the first advent, the first coming of the Lord. And the bottom line represents this age, and we are currently living in this age, we are. Okay, but Jesus said that there would be an age to come and a lot of people think well We got to wait till the second advent for the age to come to start up But it doesn't work that way the age to come started at the time of Christ Okay, so what we're living in is the now not yet the overlap We are living in this age and the overlap of the age to come and what happens is the prophet would look forward And, and is his vantage point. How many have ever uh, climbed mountains before anybody climb mountains? Do you ever you ever noticed that they have something always, it seems like every single mountain has one of these. It's called a false summit. Don't you just hate false summits? Man, you think, oh, there it is. I'm going to make it. That's it. That's the spot. And it, from your vantage point, you see it and you think, that's where I'm headed. That's the top. And when you get there, you go, dang. Because <laughs> usually it goes back down a little bit before it goes back up is usually how it works. Well, uh, in a similar way, if you will, what the prophet would see in many times, all the prophets from the Old Testament, is they look forward. They couldn't see the second advent. They couldn't see the gap in between, if you will. All they could see was the first, or, or this, they would see this prophecy. God would show them. He'd say, there's going to be a great and dreadful day of the Lord coming. And, and so in their mind, they're describing this thing that happens, but, what, but superimposed, if you will, there's the second summit. And they don't see the gap in between. Now, the last 2,000 years have been us living in the gap. We've been living in this age and the age to come at the same time. For those of us who follow Christ, we're, we're part of the kingdom of God, the age to come. And, and so, so what's happened is, is that the prophet sees uh, a perspective. When we're in between, we can look back and see, oh, that's how Jesus fulfilled that. But this is how he's going to fulfill that dual fulfillment. Are you with me? 
I'm not trying to complicate you. I just want to help us understand. Sometimes when we read the Old Testament scriptures, we say, oh, well, that was already fulfilled. And sometimes it was fulfilled, but sometimes there's dual fulfillment, two things happening. And when we talk about the great and dreadful day of the Lord, can I just tell you that as dreadful as times have been in the past on this planet, there is a more dreadful day that's coming and coming soon. And uh, Malachi just couldn't see the gap between them, uh, those two, two mountains, if you will. So, so we're going to look at those four things that, that the call, if you will, the calling of John the Baptist to be a way maker, and we're going to make that application to our lives. Just as what was spoken over John, I believe, is spoken over us, that we will also uh, be way makers for the Lord for his uh, second advent, if you will, the second coming of Christ. Are you with me? So the first thing that John was said to do was he would bring joy to his parents, but he'd also bring joy that everybody would rejoice because of him. So bringing joy to others. So John would bring obvious joy to his parents, especially Elizabeth. All, all of the Hebrew women wanted to bear children, especially to bear a son, so that that son would have a chance to fulfill the prophecy of a coming Messiah. Of course, only one woman would actually do that, but every woman thought she could be part of that solution. And in a sense, she was, because the lineage from all the way from, uh, from the beginning, actually from Adam and Eve, where the prophecy was given that the seed of the, the woman would crush the head of the serpent, every Hebrew woman was wanting to bear a son. And and so the promise comes to them, hey, you're going to have a son. And so Elizabeth in her old age, and she is rejoicing. She sings a song. It's a great, great time for Elizabeth. But there's great, uh, but the prophecy about John goes further. It says that many would rejoice because of his birth. And the rejoicing comes because he's the one who really is going to usher in and be the forerunner of Christ. The angels proclaimed it the night of the Savior's birth. What did they say? I bring you good news of great joy. See, it's joy to the world, right? This isn't sad to the world or bummer to the world, right? It's joy to the world. We have really good news here, excellent news, quite, quite amazing news. And so we only get this little glimpse into John's life in the Bible, but we get enough to see that he had a huge following of people that followed him around, and he would preach, a it was a hard message, he preached a message of repentance. He would tell people, man, you've done this, you've done that, it's wrong, you've got to stop it, you've got to quit being the way you're being, you've got to turn to God, and to prove your repentance, I want you to come into the water, I'm going to baptize you, and, and then you're going to live a different life from that point on. But people bought, I mean, they bought into it completely, so many of the people did, he had a huge following by the the time Christ starts his ministry. And so, but he, but at the same time with this, see the, the message of repentance is not uh, uh, initially a joyful experience, amen? Like nobody likes to be confronted with their sin, but the forgiveness that follows is great news. It's really, really good news. And so the message of joy to the world is John's message. There's no reason, honestly, for us as Christians to, to, to be walking around uptight, to be glum, to be, you know, just having a bad attitude. There's no reason for that. I'm not saying we don't go through hard times. Everybody goes through hard times, but we overall have a message. It's like uh, I, I overheard part of a message, or Rhonda talking to her mom the other day, and her mom, I could tell her mom was saying something to the effect, well, you know, if this is my time to go, something like that, wasn't she? And, of course, we don't want that. We don't accept that. But the reason she can say something like that is because she has trust in the Lord. That's good news. You don't have to worry about eternity because you know God's got it. So even if the worst-case scenario, God forbid, were to happen, she's going to be with Jesus and we're going to be reunited with her someday. Now, that's not our expectation. That's not what we're praying for. But you, you understand, it gives you, even though you go through hard things like everybody else, you come to a place where you say, hey, 
but I have a hope, and his name is Jesus. Amen. It's so good. It's so good. So, so, uh, but it's no wonder sometimes people don't want to come to church because they come and they, they see people or we're out in the community, we're acting like things are so hard and we're griping and we're griping on Facebook about all our troubles and you know, it's like, come on, we've got good news. Let's let people know how great our God is. Let's say, let's, we can tell about the hard things we go through, but then let's add to that the joy of the Lord that is our strength, right? You don't have to be happy to have joy. Get that through your heads. Don't, you, know, you know, you can always have joy, even if you're not happy about your circumstances. Who cares about circumstances? Come on. So, so listen. Let's share God's love. Let's share with people the goodness of God and the joy of the Lord. And, and let's be like John the Baptist in that. And as far as I'm concerned, we've got the greatest church in the whole world. I mean, I'm biased, but what can I say? I love you guys. You're amazing. I can't imagine a greater group of people to be with on a Sunday than you. And I'm telling you, I want more people to experience what I see every weekend is wonderful people coming together, worshiping Jesus. Amen? Good. So waymakers bring joy to others. They really do. And waymakers also, second thing is believe for great things. Believe for great things. Bring joy to others and believe for great things. The angel tells Zechariah, hey, this, this son of yours, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Can I tell you today that God is not afraid of us being great and having success? He's not bothered by growth or increase in our lives. He's not, he's, and sometimes we're concerned in our mind about things becoming too big or too, too successful, if you will. And, uh, you know, as long as we keep the right perspective, it's entirely fine to have success in life and to be great. Why not excel? One of our core values in this church is a desire for excellence. We want to do everything we can with the most excellence we can, you know? And, and if, I hope our excellence shows in some ways. We, we do our very best, but I'm just saying it's something we want to always do. Let's not be afraid for do, to do great things. And so, uh, but we have to keep the perspective that God is the owner of all things and that he's the one who gives us the abilities and so as he gives them to us, why not decide to just do great things with the abilities he's given you? Go for it. Yeah. Now, the key is it's all right to become great if you're great in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of man. You know, that's our goal is to be great in God's sight, not to try to please others, but to be great in God's sight. And how do we do that? Well, it starts out by being humble, a word we don't tend to like a lot, but it's, there it is. And we, might, we have to understand if something great is going to happen uh, in my life or through my life, it's really going to be through me, not so much from me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's no longer, uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So everything great that happens, happens because Christ is in me. And I mean you as well when I say that. Paul, listen to these words. Paul prayed this for the Ephesians, and I believe he prayed it for us too. But take this to heart today and think about what Paul is actually praying for you as he prays 2,000 years ago for the church today. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order to, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Come on. And, and, and then he says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Does that sound small-minded to you? No. That is, that's big stuff that God has in store for his people. He really does. 
Jesus said of John uh, the Baptist in Luke 7, 28, he says this. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. You think, wow, that got top billing. John is number one top billing. And then Jesus continues his sentence. He says, yet, the one of you who is least in the kingdom of God, and that's us, can I tell you, because you're in the kingdom of God. When you received Christ, you entered in, became part of the kingdom of God. He says, the one who is least in the, greatest, or in the kingdom of God is greater than John, greater than he. Do you think God wants you to be great? You think John did a good job? God says you can be even greater. You can be even greater if you believe. So waymakers, people who make way for the king, are people who bring joy to others. They believe for great things. And the third thing is they have to be set apart. Now, it says that John was not to take wine or other fermented drink from his birth. I know when I start talking about alcohol consumption that people start to get nervous. I don't want you to do that today. In fact, it's amazing to me how often people really know the Bible so well regarding alcohol and, and yet cannot share the gospel with somebody. <laughs> Come on. So let's just figure that one out, okay? I, I don't need anybody to create an argument with me about this. I'm not going to... Listen, it's clear that Jesus drank wine, no doubt at all. He even made some from water, no doubt at all. But listen carefully to me. He would never have gotten drunk because that's a sin and Jesus never sinned. So if, there's, if, if you're drinking to the point of drunkenness, you're sinning. Does that mean you're not going to heaven? No, we all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. But we're trying not to, right? So let's avoid drunkenness, clearly. But, but let me go a step further, because what is it talking about about John? Why did, why did G, and even the, the Pharisees accuse Jesus, ah, oh, he, he drinks and eats with sinners, right? And then, and then, but John is asked to be set apart. Why? What's the deal with John? In the biblical times and before John's time, there were many people who were set apart for God for special purposes in the Bible. In the Old Testaments, the priests and the kings, it says in um, Proverbs, it's not for them to drink wine. Why was that? I'm not saying they never did, but I'm just saying, why would God say that? Is because he wanted them to be specifically set apart as a special people. That they would abstain from alcohol for a season of time or maybe altogether. And this was, of course, John the Baptist what he was asked to do as well. You might think to yourself, oh, I could never do that. Listen, if it's for God, you can do all things, right? Don't, don't, if, if, you, if the first thing that comes to your heart is, oh, I could never do that, there's something wrong. There, there is. There's something wrong that needs to be dealt with inside that you would say there's something more important than what God would tell me to do. But, but, but um, so we might, here's the thing. We might have liberty in some areas of our lives to, to drink, or not to drink, whatever. But, but using our liberty is not always in the best interest of others. Boy, it got quiet in here. Um, I said, using our liberty is not always in the best interest of others. Like if you've got an alcoholic, a formerly alcoholic friend who's gotten free from alcohol, how many think it's probably a good idea to abstain from alcohol around your formerly alcoholic friend? And that just makes sense, doesn't it? Can you abstain for a friend? Okay, so there are times and there are seasons when abstinence from alcohol would be wise as a way maker for the king. And in some cases, people who have been addicted in the past, you may feel that the Lord has told you not to touch at all. And I think that's wise. I received a word from the Lord in 1981. I'll remember it clearly. I was drinking, I was of age. We were celebrating, I was 82 actually, and we were, um, I was having a glass of beer with a pizza and I was at a restaurant with my wife. We were celebrating our first anniversary. And as I was drinking it, I, I put the glass down. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I don't want you to touch alcohol again. I said, okay. That was easy, right? So, so 
we got to be ready to do what God says to do in this area. And, and that's what's important. And if it's, if it's for the best interest, and I think in my case, it is for the best interest of others because I'm a pastor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, now, I'm talking a lot about that, but I want to say something that this is way more important than the kind of beverages we drink. And I'm not really talking about alcohol consumption at all. I'm talking about us being noticeably different from the people of the world around us. We're not getting drunk. We're not participating in the things that the world's participating in. Not because we're better than anybody else, but because we're set apart by God for something bigger, something greater. How can we speak to the pain of the world around us when we're out there creating pain? And You see what I'm saying? And so what we've got to do is decide to be noticeably different people, just as John was. I'm not making a case for us being weirdos, okay? <laughs> You know, I'm not, when I say be different, I'm not saying be a weirdo. I'm saying, but the chi- how can the children of light shine in a dark generation? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. And Peter, in his uh, book, 1 Peter, he says this. He says, but you, speaking of us, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special pos- uh, possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. A holy nation. Holy means set apart. You are set apart for a special purpose to God. John was to be set apart from his birth. And I believe uh, God wants us, and especially the young people who are here today, hear me, that God wants to set you guys apart to, to be special from, from your young age for, for the Lord's purposes, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. John, it says John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit from our new birth, if you will, right? And become baptized in the Holy Spirit and become change makers in our world. We can be way makers for the Lord in Jesus' name. And I believe Paul is connecting all the dots when he says in Ephesians 5, he says, but don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. He's connecting those dots right there for us. So here's my bottom line. God may ask us to give up some things in our life that are not sin to produce a greater glory to come from our lives for the sake of others around us. Can you go with that? Fair enough. Okay. So uh, again, I'm not having a big diatribe about alcohol. I'm just using that because that's the example that was used about John. Let's be open with God and say, what is it in my life? Is there anything that needs, I need to just end up not doing? Because I need to be a better witness. God help me to do that. Okay. Finally, so waymakers are bring joy to others. They believe for great things. They're set apart. And finally, the last thing is this. They bring people back to God. This is central to the life of John. He, he, this, this, is his, this is his purpose. This is what he was born for, if you will. He begins from the very start of his ministry to lead people and keep pointing them. I'm not the one who's to come. There's one coming after me who's greater than me. I'm not even worthy to bend down and tie his shoes. Um, you know, he just, he, he just always kept pointing to Jesus. And so, uh, but this is central to our lives' purpose as well. Do you understand that? When we become believers, this becomes central to our purpose in life too. Do you think that anything that we've done in this life, seriously, will seem important to us? I'm talking about the things that we just do for recreation or just the things that don't have to do with eternal things. But, and I'm not saying they're unimportant, but I'm saying do you think that they will seem important once we get to heaven? Like, like when we get to heaven, will we say, Lord, did you see how nice a house I had? Was that? <laughs> now, listen, nice houses. I mean, you... you Lawrence and Kelly, you guys just built a beautiful new house. God bless you. That's great things in the name of the Lord. I'm not saying don't have a nice house, but I'm just saying, you know, when we get, and that's good that you got it in this earth, but you understand we don't take that with us, right? You all get that. And so not against 
great big houses and beautiful things and that kind of thing. But, we're, but the Lord's not going to be impressed with how big our house was. When, and we might say, oh, Lord, did you see the nice car I was driving? I had a really nice car. He's not going to be impressed with that. Did you see how many sports trophies I got, Lord? I was the best bowler in my league. <laughs> or, does anybody bowl here? <laughs> or did you see how many golf tournaments I won, Lord? Stepping on, you might want to pull your toes back. I don't know. I'm walking through the aisles right now, maybe stepping on some toes. But. Did you see how much money I made, Lord? God, I got to level 100 in Fortnite. Aren't you impressed with my video gaming abilities? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things I just described. But God's not going to be impressed with those things. He, he gives them to us for joy in this life, and we can enjoy all those things. But we've got to make sure we understand those, those are not eternal things. They're things for this life. They can facilitate. Some of them can facilitate in some ways eternal things. But they are not going to go with us. I'm sure you heard the joke about the man who was going to die, and he asked God, God, can I please? I, just, I, I know you say you can't take anything with you, but can I just take one suitcase to heaven with me? I just want to bring one suitcase. God says, you really don't need to bring anything. Everything you need will be here. He says, no, please, let me bring one suitcase to heaven. And so, so sure enough, God says, okay, fine, you can bring a suitcase with you when you come to heaven. Remember, this is a joke. And so, <laughs> so he, he finally dies, and he's got his suitcase, and he brings it, and he steps before God, and God says, hey, I see you brought your suitcase. He said, what would you bring in that suitcase? And the guy opens it up, smiling from ear to ear, and it's filled with gold bars. And God looks at him and goes, you brought pavement? <laughs> because in case you didn't know, we're going to walk on streets of gold, right? That are so pure, they're transparent as glass. Man, I'm telling you. What, it's not to say you can't have nice things in this life, but that can't be our focus. All of this stuff, is gonna, including this planet, is going to burn up someday. It really is. I'm not, I'm not being apocalyptic because the world, I can see the world in trouble politically. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about what the Scripture says. Again, the same Scripture that predicted that Jesus Christ would come in the flesh, and he surely did. If anything is historically, we can guarantee it happened that Jesus Christ really did come. This same Scripture says, and again, we turn to Peter for guidance here. And he says in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12, he says, But the day of the Lord, remember my mountains? This is, I'm talking about the second mountain now. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens, listen, will disappear with a roar. That word heavens speaks of the highest heavens, like all the, all the I, mean, I mean, the heavens where the stars are at. All of that disappears with a roar, goes away. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And earth and everything uh, done in it will be laid bare, completely destroyed. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Like, what a transition, right? Like, everything's going to be destroyed, so what kind of people should you be? Fill in the blank, right? This is what Peter's saying. And here's his conclusion. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Now, I don't want any of that to scare you, what I just talked about, because if you know Jesus Christ, you're not going to be on this planet when all that happens, all right? You're going to be with the Lord forever in the presence of God. But John was a guy who lived on purpose. And his purpose was to be a way maker for the Lord. And in so doing, he always pointed people to know the one who was to come. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And when finally Jesus starts his ministry, you see that John begins to fade out. Eventually he's killed. He's murdered by, by uh, what's his face? Herod. And... Um, 
Couldn't think of Herod right then. Um, but, but, but he fades out. He kept pointing to Jesus. And that's how we need to live our lives as well. Do you agree? Yeah. Amen. Worship team, come on back up. So we can learn from John's life this pattern for ushering in for this advent in our generation, if you will. Again, the day of the Lord that the prophet is speaking about is that coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. But that wasn't, that was the initial coming, but that wasn't the end of it because the day of the Lord has been continuing from that time until now. We continue to live in the day of the Lord. This is where that great and dreadful part that Malachi talked about is really going to kick in at some point. And I believe with all my heart, now listen, you know, don't throw anything at me. I'm not a false prophet. But I believe with all my heart that the Lord will come within 20 years. You say, oh, pastor, you shouldn't talk like that. Well, uh, you, you say, oh, the Bible says you won't know the hour of the day, but it doesn't say the year. <laughs> but seriously, what I mean is, he says that the day will come like a thief in the night. But then Jesus goes on to say, um, let, let me read you this from 1 Thessalonians 5 as we're wrapping this up. Watch this. He says, he says, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. And you think, oh, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to have any sense whatsoever. And then the, uh, Paul transitions. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're not in darkness. It's not a thief to you and me. We're going to feel when the time is near. We may not know the exact moment of his coming, but we're going to know it's close. And I may be way off, you know. I mean, Paul thought that the Lord was coming in his time, so I think I'm in good company if I think he's coming in my lifetime. That's why I said 20 years, because I figured that's about, you know. I'm sure i got at least more 20 more years in me, right? <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I had one amen. But um, my point is this. I may be wrong, but I would rather live every day with anticipation of the Lord's return. And, and I don't care if I, if I go the way of all humanity and dust be, you know, become the dust of the ground, but my eternal soul is secure, right? Do you understand? And it, it, so, so I'm not worried about such things. I'm not making a prediction about his return date per se. I am saying I believe the time is very near, very near. The second advent is at the door. And the reason I say that is, be, is partially because of the terrible state that our world is in right now. It's, it's a mess. I mean, we may think that things are bad in America. And this, this I, we're, we live in paradise compared to many other parts of the world. There are some awful, horrible things. We, we as Christians worry about, you know, they're, they're taking Christ out of Christmas. Oh, that's horrible. People are being tortured to death because they name the name of Christ right now on planet earth all over the earth people are jailed everywhere because they believe in the name of Jesus Christ at least in America that's not where we're at right now thank God but I'm just telling you what how valuable is our faith that we would stand to the very end no matter what and God isn't coming to you know th this kind of stuff's been going on for a long time he's coming back when the time is right but I feel like just the, the shape that the world is in, man, we need the Lord to come so desperately. There's so much wickedness against children and women and poor people in this planet. Don't you know what I'm talking about? We're, we're so isolated by that in America. But, you know, listen to the news a couple of things. Listen to some world news, not just American news. Listen to some world news and get a little glimpse of what is going on. It's sad. It's sick. And I, I just pray that the Lord would come soon for the sake of those who are suffering. As John the Baptist was sent to be a forerunner, 
in his generation 2,000 years ago, God is starting to raise us up, or raise up a new generation, I believe, of people that will usher in that advent of the Lord Jesus to come back to earth. So are you ready to be a waymaker? Ready to make way for the King? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.